time is the thing. Uh-huh. Time is, is the essential piece of uh, interpretation. You cannot start without me. See, I start the clock. You know, my left hand, it shapes, but my right hand, the second hand, marks time and moves it forward. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means that time stops. Now, the illusion is that, like you, I'm responding to the orchestra in real right. time, making right. the decision about the right moment to restart the thing or reset it or throw time out the window altogether. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time really? it is and the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. Yes. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm Lee Carlo, joined by Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk, baby. This is an extraordinary edition, an epic edition, a legendary edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast because we're going to be talking about a film by director Todd Field, his first in 16 years, <laughs> starring Kate Blanchett. It is Tar. Guys, I don't. I I, I text you guys uh, about hour and a half, two hours ago, um, that I was having. I was struggling coming up with an opening question, and and you guys were no help at all. You just mm-hmm. made uh, well, yeah, we made, we, jo- made jokes. We, we are still, of course, still working while you are not. And so. I mean, it was six thirty in my defense. I mean, it's not as like, it goes. Um. But you guys were no help, no help at all. So well, I, 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 about I that time, just so down. you guys know, oh, f- before you get to this, <laughs> about that time you texted us this, I was walking the streets of Boston, and uh, I literally, there's <laughs> that scene in a movie where people are just walking, they had a bad day, and then a car comes by and they splash a whole pile of water onto somebody. That had just happened to me. <laughs> after you texted me so and so presumably it's very cold and there was a lot of ice oh it and was salt very very cold and i was worried my computer had been ruined to be honest i mean it was like a wave onto me that's like the video to that song you've had a bad day and then a car yeah, yeah. And spl- <laughs> splashes jeremy <laughs> oh, yeah, Lee, all right talking so about a movie after all that i put my head down and I was like, I'm gonna come up with, I'm gonna come up with some good talking points for this pod. And I, I didn't totally come up with questions, but I, I did come up with two topics that I want us to discuss, sort of separately. Um, we'll start with one. If we start to roll into the other, I may stop you guys just to kind of keep. You can't the, stop us. Kind of keep mm-hmm. the conversations a little structured because um, I do want to talk about them separately. But my first first point to bring up is is tar in relation to the movie we discussed a couple weeks ago, Banshees of Anna Sharon. Mm-hmm. Where are you going with this, Lee? Anyway, I think those two movies ask the same question and just come at it from the opposite perspective, which is essentially, what is more important, legacy or morality? And in Banshees, as we discussed, you have Brendan Gleeson's character who decides to end his friendship with Colin Farrell because he wants to spend time making his music and making something that will outlive him and create a legacy. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the line goes in a number of different ways. It's like, well, it's not very nice to do that. And then here with Tar, you have Lydia Tar, who is an extremely accomplished conductor, currently working with the Berlin Symphony Orchestra, 
um, rehearsing for a performance of Mahler's Fifth Symphony, and it be it would be the first time. That's my that, that's my personal favorite of his. So. Of the Mahler's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be it, it's completing a series of all of Mahler's symphonies, something that a single yeah. orchestra and conductor had had never done up until this point. So it's a very significant performance that she's preparing for, mm. and. Right from the opening, and then as through the film, we get to know Lydia Tarr as an extremely accomplished um, composer. Uh, uh, sorry, conductor. But she's not a very good person. Um, she is vain. She is selfish. But we kind of learn is, that slowly. Right? We do. We learn little little bits slowly throughout the film. But right from the get-go, right from the beginning, you realize kind of her her vanity and her ignorance to a certain extent. So the the question is posed: What is more important, morality or legacy? And I and I guess my question for you guys is just: How do you feel about that being a central theme of a movie? Because two of the last three movies we've discussed have focused on that, and. Beyond that being my question, let's just talk about that aspect of this movie. Shoot. Yeah, thematically, I think it's obviously an interesting question to ask. Um, It's not an easy question to put forth filmically, if that's a word that I just made up. But uh, I think it's one word, though, not two. No, cinematically yeah i i don't think it's easy to do but i like that directors are tackling it and trying it um i really appreciated in this film where they didn't make it easy uh todd field didn't make it easy or clear cut in any way shape or form that she necessarily is a, a terrible person like it, it he did a really good job at like sort of showing her genius and then in the background you start noticing like i think in a lot of ways the way a human would or or somebody would interact with her they'd find her genius first and be sort of stunned by her, and then you start to realize, oh, maybe the more there's time some flaw. Yeah, the more time you spend with her, there's some flaws there, and, and some of them are not necessarily terrible. And we can get into that. Like well, the 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 scene in the the college classroom, I was let's say hundred percent on board with her. Say, let's for say that. that scene though. Okay. Um, I think the scene that describes what you're talking about best is right after the opening scene. Lydia Tarr is, is talking with a fan who is just gushing over her genius. Meanwhile, Tar- Lydia Tarr's assistant, played by Naomi Merlant, is kind of in the background with her eyes stuck in the back of her head. They're rolling so much. So you have one person that spends right. all this Where time with her and kind of knows it. and sees through the BS. And then you have another person who's a fan and just is obsessed with the genius. I think that's exactly what you're talking about. And like that, the way that that unfolds throughout the movie is is really well done right and i don't think she's wrong all the time and i don't think she's necessarily uh 
Well, I guess the question is, do, do you uh, you guys feel like she's portrayed as a, a villain throughout, whereas, or or does it kind of take you by surprise as it takes her by surprise? I, I'm curious about that, and maybe it makes me a bad person, but I didn't disagree with her for a lot of this, and then you realize, oh, she's kind of grooming somebody. Yeah, I I kind of disagree a little bit, Lee, with your assessment about the th- question here i don't think it's as cut and dry as the banshees of inishirin um i think this is this movie is more about the sort of trappings of fame and genius maybe but you know and and power and how you know one can wield those and okay that's the second thing i want to get to okay but Here's the thing. I just don't think that question is on Lydia Tarr's mind. I think she's certainly interested in her legacy. I don't think she has a moral bone in her body at all. I don't think she cares about anybody. I don't think I, that's a question for her at all. And I think in in Ashiran and Banshees, they those two both are are I mean, Colin Farrell's character is acutely aware of the impact of that on his emotions, certainly, and and those on Brendan Gleeson's. And so is Brendan Gleeson. He feels badly at some points for that. I don't think Lydia Tarr is interested in that at all. I think what her, what this movie is trying to ask is, I don't know, not exactly sure, but like ultimately, you know, what do we allow people to get away with? Why do we allow them to get away with? I mean, is this, is this movie, is this movie the like, seminal me too movie and it's about a woman i mean that that's interesting to me a little bit but but i think you're you're i think you do agree with the the thing i'm asking because what Ban- this is coming this is looking at the question that banshees asks from a completely different perspective and i agree that lydia doesn't really care necessarily about the morality piece the way that brendan gleason does but the other people in this movie do and some of the circumstances that unfold and some of the characters seen and unseen in this movie have a huge impact on this story in terms of the question that it asks, legacy versus morality. Like, what can you get away with morally if you if your legacy is that of a genius? And the scene that Jeremy mentioned, which we can talk about a little bit, in, when she is teaching a class at Juilliard it you know brings up this question in a number of different ways essentially what happens is she's teaching a conducting class and she's a little dissatisfied with the the work that the student is performing and this scene is done all in one take which is amazing you know, really cool and the way it unfolds essentially is that the student uh, well, Lydia Tarr suggests perhaps playing Bach. And the student objects to this because of, you know, Bach's reputation for um, being poly- uh, a polygamist and his relationship with women and his wives and so on and so forth. And he identifies as... Um, a bi- BIPOC, what does he say? I forget. Non-binary the, BIPOC. Non, non-binary yeah. BIPOC. And what does that mean? This, that means he's, well, BIPOC he, is pers- essentially 
person, person of, color. of color and non-binary, non-binary is means he's I got that part gender yeah, neutral no BIPOC so it Jeremy's been living in Alabama for... yeah now this leads into a debate about whether or not you can judge art based on your political, personal, mm. idealistic perspectives on things. And or you can have whatever the, the the thing of the year is. Okay. Like and, and Jeremy, I know your perspective on this. Yeah. And so you can hold that for a second. But Still, I think that's a nice way to tell you to shut the fuck up, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on. The the way that this scene unfolds is sort of brilliant because while we're we are simultaneously recognizing that Lydia Tarr is sm- smarter and you know more um, more mature and more like what is the word I'm looking for? Just more like is she is informed, more informed, and just more not necessarily informed, but she is she is. An adult, and she has experienced the world more, and she has more life experience, and than this than this student. But she is also being mean. an asshole about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so it leads you to this question: Is like, how do we feel about Lydia after this? Because you can you can't help but agree with her saying like, you want to be judged on your work, not on your like what you do, you know, quote unquote, off the field. And you know, this conversation happens all the time because the NFL is always at the headlines, and they've got. People getting in trouble and the NFL decides to arbitrarily suspend them for eight games or 12 games. First four games, then six games, then 12 games for, you know, sexually, ass- sexually assaulting outrage. 30 yeah, women. Yeah, it depends on the outrage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a really interesting scene because you just get two different perspectives on who Lydia Tarr is. And it asks you that question of like, OK, is this person right, even though she's being horrible to this student or is she she taking advantage of the power that she has due to her legacy and can do whatever she wants and i just think that scene plays out so brilliantly in exploring this idea but also also a little bit the what we you know what we eventually find out the sort of comparison between i mean this is your point lee brilliantly realized that uh that you know the compare you know the sort of comparison between bach and tar at the end of the movie yeah yeah and which i hate i hate i mean not i hate i think it's really well done in this movie but also it's like so there's that scene which we just talked about and you're like oh yeah she's right like she's 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 making a good point and this is a real problem in society of people you know uh canceling everyone for any little thing and all this stuff and then she goes on to be justifiably canceled. Yeah, go ahead, Chapin. Well, it's interesting. I so the, obviously this movie is getting universal reviews, but it did not get a great review from the New Yorker. And Richard Brody says, "Tar described Tar as a regressive film that takes bitter aim at so-called cancel culture and lampoons so-called identity politics." Politics. He, he accuses the film of conservative button pushing with regressive, conservative, and narrow aesthetic, failing to achieve dramatic unity. Okay, but I think it. I think it's just complex on that issue. I agree. I don't think it's. I don't think it's I, quite. Landing. I also think it's narrowing in way too much on the things that this movie has to say. I mean, you can, 
you can take that one scene and dissect it a thousand different ways and judge the movie on that if you want. But you're missing, I think, a much bigger picture here, which includes the question I asked. And then also the next question, which I'll I'll or the next point that I'll bring up to you guys and then we can continue to get into this is the extension of that legacy versus morality question in that the power that someone needs in order to create such a legacy. And then what does that do to your morality? So Lydia Tarr has become such an iconic, important person in the conducting world, in the music world, across the world, the, the actual world, because she's conducted for Berlin and for New York and for all of these really famous symphony orchestras and she is known as as one of the best conductors of all time and she was a she was a apprentice of Leonard Bernstein that we learn at the beginning so she is on that on that level and so she has acquired a certain amount of power in this world and you see her utilize that in a number of different ways you see her manipulate people you see her threaten people and that is all kind of in service of or or part of the person that is leaving a legacy behind. And now what does that do to the person's morality? Does one need the other? And I wonder if that... I, I love how that question is posed in this movie. And it also kind of asks how that power is obtained and who's responsible for it. And Jeremy, I know I'm sure that this spoke to you, and I think we can all appreciate how this movie opens, right, with what is essentially the end credits. And, you know, that is there acknowledging the uh, enormous amount of people that made Todd Field's vision come to be. And an orchestra is a really interesting parallel to a director and a film crew. For sure. And... You know, we look at Lydia Tarr as the director, so to speak, the person who's going to get the acclaim. And, you know, next week we're going to talk about The Fablemans, which is, you know, an autobiographical movie about Steven Spielberg, arguably the most famous and most powerful director ever. And it'll be interesting to talk about that and how he came to be and who is responsible for what he came to be. So, you know, the legacy versus morality and then the power versus the morality and how all those things tie together and how those are utilized for you know, the good of the music and then for the, the you know, I guess for the, the harm to other people is just a f like a fascinating thing to explore. And I think this movie does it so well. And like, it's a huge credit to the screenplay, I think, maybe more than anything in the way that this is written and its detail and its nuance. Yeah, I, I find it so interesting that, well... I also find it challenging. Like the the challenge of this movie is wrestling with its themes. Like if you if you pick a side here, it doesn't this this film doesn't really let you do that. Yeah, it doesn't really it work. Really, yeah. yeah, it really kind of explores all the all the sides of it. Um Well you which, you use the word villain, Jeremy, and I don't think Lydia Tarr is a villain, nor do I think the movie wants her to be. I don't think it's I don't know. Does she? Do, do, like it depends on how you look at it. I don't it. think it's like. I don't think it's like. I think it's a an unlikable protagonist. 
like maybe I don't know if it totally qualifies her anti-hero because it's just like not really that type of movie. But it's like that. It's that vein. I don't think we're talking about heroes and villains here. But uh, here's the question: like, because this movie is comp, like, there's one of two ways you can go with this. Really, it's like either this movie didn't do what it wanted to, and we're like struggling to try to give it answers that it didn't try to provide, or it really uh, developed this question and now we're struggling to answer it like it's one of those two ways i mean i i know how i feel i feel like it it did this very purposely but i could see somebody struggling with this and thinking it's a little bit everywhere don't you think there's a the same thing going on and in the bedroom i mean ultimately is there that there's a moral question in in that film too honestly like this this movie reminded me again this movie reminded me the most of um, Phantom Thread, you know, like this genius man who's, you know, as like a character study who's, yeah. you know, worshipped and everybody calls him a genius and he's got this like set life and he's, you know, like she, she goes into that, you know, the assistant conductor's office and grabs his pen off the the desk so he won't click it and she like touches his hand so he'll stop clicking. And then that student, the BIPOC non baronator student, she grabs his leg so he won't move it around, which I mean, I was, I'm, which I was hoping he, she would we do. Were, we were all <laughs> just, just hoping down. that would happen. And <laughs> you know, she's got Tell him to calm down, you know, these people who think that they can, you know, because of the, the way they're treated and because of the sort of the station they have in life and <coughs> the life they've, you know, essentially built for themselves. They can be that persnickety and get away with it. And to me, like at the heart of this movie is that question. I don't know if it's the heart of, you know, like the romance in, in, um, Phantom Thread is different, I think. And, and, and makes this, that movie, I think more complex ultimately, but, um, I don't know. Like this is such a complex question that this movie is prepared posing and we're we're struggling but here's here's where i think talk about it and i i think that's genius of this is i think that 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 what this movie has to say while clearly interesting and like thought-provoking is less important than how it says it and and what i mean by that is just like this this every line of dialogue like every action everything that lydia tard does is so intentional in in what this movie is trying to say like in and again it's covering a lot of different things but i don't think we need to come up with the answers or like pick a side or decide if she's a hero or a villain or if or whatever that is i think what's most successful about this movie is how it creates a character that we have no choice and also no objection in following for nearly three hours because it's a fascinating character it is a morally ambiguous character or maybe maybe not even morally ambiguous like honestly like morally corrupt character and there's no like you could compare this to like travis bickle like that's what we're talking about here like what sure i mean but i think but what my point is is that i think it doesn't matter as much to the success of the movie i think what's what makes it smart that's my point what makes it smart is is how it's told 
and like all these little things that happen throughout the movie yeah, that yes, create but, this. Yes, I agree with that. I think it's told very well, but I do think, I think a lot of some of the reviews, some of the negative reviews are. I mean, I think you could look at it and say this isn't this is this isn't coming down on one side or the other. What do you think is taking a side? I don't know. I mean, I I think I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting question. So um, no, no, my, I'm a, I'm <coughs> really asking like the, the negative reviews because it's taking a side and the, or they think it's taking a side or is it because it's not? I think because it seems like it's not. Although that same reviewer is criticizing it for being, you know, to against. Yeah. But I guess what I mean, I think it does take a side. I, I, th- here's the thing. And this is why I think this movie is so fascinating. And I wanted to say this because I want to ask you guys about it later because I'm, I'm curious about what you guys thought about the early scenes where Tar is being followed in New York by uh, someone we don't see. Well, that's through the whole movie. No. You see it at the end, too. Well, she's dead at the end. Who Presumably, is? that's the woman who killed herself. I think that's what How, you're supposed wait, to Why do. are you presuming that? I had no idea who that was. Okay, well, let's come back to that. And then also the sort of dissolving of Tar's sanity. Like, there are times when she hears things that aren't there. And... So that's where I... That, those are the instances where I really struggle. But the let's, paranoia let's, let's, come, let's come back to that, though. Okay. Let's come back to that. So... um. The, and the reason why I think why I think this movie is so good and and makes me ultimately love it a lot is that I couldn't I couldn't t- like you guys know that I'm not the biggest Kate Blanchett fan and I think in my mind she's I mean I don't want to like shit on her and and I'm not I don't take any I don't re- I don't take any delight not in, sexually well yeah I mean. I, I don't take any delight in Jeremy's in, the one that's in, into the into actresses shit. So right, we, we, already, the last we already we already learned that. Um, but I don't I don't I think she's quite overrated. And I have it, worked with Kate Blanchett. In this movie, I I think she kind of works perfectly for Tar because Tar is always putting on a, a character like she's never genuine. She's never. Um, you know, we don't really, unless we see her alone, we don't see her. And then in that, of course, the the important moment at the end or towards the end with Mark strong, she's always like presenting something and Mm -hmm. she's, she wants to, she's pretending to be something that maybe she doesn't believe that she is or not. Totally. She, the, the best example, she's always, she's always to answer questions or whatever. She's always using like a big you know, dictionary word. Right. And then she, and then she explains what it means. Like it's all like the, the vanity and like the, the character that she's created that has to present herself in a certain way. And and so that artifice that has always bothered me about Kate Blanchett. I've always felt like she's performing and I think that really works here in tar. And if that's intentional, which one would assume it is, then it's brilliant. It's a brilliant yeah. decision and it's a brilliant acting job. But, you know, I also, I don't, and I think there are some like real genuine moments from her in here that shine through. So I'm going to give her the fixie. No, I'm just kidding. But like, she's, she's going <laughs> to, it's, I, I, it's, it's, 
it's one of those i think it's a combination of an actress doing a great job but also like a sort of um you know uh fincher-esque casting uh right success it's a very like showy non-showy performance if that makes sense which i've struggled with like it's so performative but it's not big it's actually like there's a lot of subtlety in the way that she is creating this character that i think is really interesting and like it is a character that kate blanchett is creating and that lydia tar is creating on my second viewing i caught when she towards the end she goes back and she sees her brother who calls her linda which left me with the impression that she has changed her professional name to Lydia Tarr, right, which right. is just another example that of, of several in this movie, I think, that kind of speaks to her obsession with being the person that she's created. And I, al- I also like her performance when things are starting to de-escalate, like when things are are falling apart because this movie doesn't or harp on that. Really. What? They escalate. escalate. Yeah. They don't No, I'm talking about like they devolve. Devolve. Okay, sorry. Devolve, falling apart. Um because this movie doesn't really uh concentrate too much on that part of her life. It sort of happens and then she she almost wants to ignore it as if like oh we'll just push it off it's fine we'll just move on to the next like there's never that moment where she had she has that like cry in the corner like i fucked this up i screwed it up and like there that that didn't happen in this movie it was like all of a sudden she was in a uh a meeting a pr meeting and then the next moment she's at her her parents house living in her room and then she's doing orchestras for a video game i I think that's the status that she's risen to and i think that it draws a like like a very clear parallel to a lot of the people that have been canceled like they don't realize like why they're i mean i brought it up earlier like you want to talk like deshaun watson who has you know denied every allegation against him of like Hmm. 25 women (laughs) no it's more than that it's like whatever like Like, so many women accused him of the same thing to the point where like no one could argue that it's a coincidence yet you rise to this this level where you don't feel like anything you could have done is wrong and now what happens in this movie in a very interesting way it's told in a very interesting way um little by little we piece together that she you know had a a mentee and likely a relationship with this woman named Krista and broke it off and, you know, will no longer recommend her for jobs or anything like that. And no, I mean, reaches out to well, people. Well, it seems and, like and actively, says, and, yeah, actively, right, actively says denies do not hire her this person. of jobs. Yes. Um, Krista's, you know, mental state and, becomes more and more dire and sends emails to Lydia Tarr as well as her assistant, you know, saying like, you need, you know, I need help. Like something is wrong. And she ends up committing suicide. And this is all done like very uniquely kind of on the periphery of the movie. 
And okay, I think here, that is very much in it. The, the intention is that this, like, this is from Lydia's perspective. Right. But the few times we don't see that, there's someone following her in New York. And I think that's this person, Krista. And she's also texting. Well, I, well, there's Somebody. also a conversation we see where she presumably is texting the assistant. I don't I, know. So I that's think, what happens. I think so it is. The, because it's the very first thing we see in the movie, even before right. the end credits. She's on the plane. She's on a plane sleeping, and it's like a, it's like a video with the te- with texting. Right. What do we what do we call? It? Like <laughs> a live video. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you see that maybe two or three times more throughout the movie. I I, ne- I never had the thought that that was Krista because for some reason I thought you saw that again at the end. You do see it at the end, but I think it's I think that that's a flashback. It's a. Hmm. Because I think it's her first trip to New York with the assistant. Because on the second book reading, right? Right on the second trip on the private jet, she's only with uh, (coughs) the woman, the new, the cellist. Yeah, the the Russian cellist. Right. So what I think is, and they they allude to this, and Lee, I'm really glad you told us to uh, watch this twice because this is things I only figured out after watching it again. Uh, Yeah. They. She pause for a second and talk about how much shit I got for that. Well, I'm I I one of my questions is why after the first like why did you insist on well, Cuz I think this movie is so this. complex. But we'll get yeah. we'll get to that. Okay. But I do want to ask that question. Go ahead, Chapin. You find out that the three of them went on kind of like a you know, like a like we were just talking about before we started recording, a sort of menage a trois um vacation up some river. For listeners, we are always talking about menage a trois before we start yeah, recording. We have we have something similar planned for the fixies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like her assistant and in a river, her assistant and this woman who killed herself and Tar took a trip up. You know, went to some what presumably some event that Tar was invited to, and fucked all weekend. Because That's all Chapin got end of story. End of movie. The the woman from um what's her name from from, from Portrait Naomi Marlant, yeah. Uh Naomi she's like very upset. <laughs> Naomi Marlant. Naomi Marlot <laughs> is very upset by the death of this of Krista or Kristen or whatever her name is. And Do you think they were re- going down the Deschutes River? Okay, but she so. also... I don't, think, I don't think rural Oregon is up these ladies' alleys. She's also more upset when she doesn't get chosen to no, be a part of the orchestra. Crying. She quits <laughs> and, like, bl- completely disappears. But, okay, so, Lee, I, I, I am curious, because when I watched this the first time, I didn't completely watch it two times. I watched certain scenes again, but... I think that's fine, um, but... No, no. When I watched it the first time, I thought there was going to be like a twist ending or something. I, you know, completely missed that I, you needed us to watch it twice. No, I think I. Th- it's so, so dense. That, it is a that dense was movie it. for just, sure. hundred percent. It is. It is. Jeremy it, watched it once. It is a version of there's. A, I think there's a couple different types of movies that are this, but it, to me, it is one of the classic examples of the film festival all right play it play it back like it's just there's so much and you watch it the first time and you get a very clear first impression and then you need the second time to understand your impression and 
my like I I was actually surprised that I felt very similarly after the second viewing. It didn't change all, all that much in terms of like how I felt about the movie, but everything just made so much more sense in terms of the screenplay and the motivations and all the things that Todd Field was trying to accomplish here because I was able to understand why Lydia Tarr said this or said this or did this because now I knew the big picture. Now I knew who she was. Did you and where feel she was going. differently about her character the second time through? No, I think I don't think I felt differently, but I think I, I think I kind of, I think I well actually I guess that is yeah, I, more I guess empathy I think, or no, less empathy. I think I had her. less empathy, but yeah, I think it also made me appreciate. I think it also made me appreciate the movie more because. Again, it's not, it's not, its objective is not to make you f- have empathy or not empathy for her. Like, it's not, that's not the idea here. And so right. to just like spend, to watch this the second time and uncover all the nuances and complexities of her, I thought was well, really important. She, also what she does. You don't want to really understand what she does until you watch it a second time. She like blackballs the assistant conductor. She like has reached out to oh, yeah. like countless I, people who tried to hire this woman and, and, and made and, and like blacklisted her. I, I wrote down I wrote down a question for you guys. What is the worst thing that she does? Because Okay, for anybody else, the worst thing that they do is what she does to Sebastian, who Sebastian is the assistant conductor who she has told everybody else that she's going to let go, basically replace. And then she goes in to do it and try and basically manipulates him and says like, oh, you should try this, this or this. Manipulates him, him into suggesting that she wants to replace him and then she acts offended and says that you should leave because of oh, what so you, you said. Oh, so you thought that was intentional. Oh, for sure. She knew what she was doing because she said mm. she was going to do it anyway. But then, so you have that, and you're like, okay, that's awful and manipulative. She's not a very good person. Then you have her threaten a, like, second grader who is bullying her daughter. I know, oh, but she I, was bullying yeah, her I daughter. Kinda, I kind of like that moment. I, was, I, I think we all, I think her. as parents, we all did. But it's also, you can't do that. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, you you can kind of just say something, right? You can you can do it in Germany. I like how. <laughs> I mean, that's part of it. It's like it's a different country, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sure you can get away she, with it there. I, I don't know. She basically says, if you tell, if you touch my daughter, or if you tell anybody, I will get you. Is what she says. Yeah, and just scares funny. the living shit out of the kid. I don't know. Not great. Then you have yeah. her basically. The, I'm, I'm with whole, her on that the one. The whole situation. Okay, Jeremy, you 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 described Lydia as a potential villain before, but I actually think she might be your hero. The way you've talked about how she talked to the Juilliard yeah, student, think, the bully yeah. at the well, school. Well, I'm with her on the Juilliard student. I'm will, with her on the bully thing, but I am not with her on the uh, the whole grooming of uh, young women to. Uh, Whatever she wanted know. to do, I don't know. We don't even know. We didn't part get of, that part far. Of, part of me well, feels she wants like to fuck them like anybody else. Part of me feels yes. like that's the least offensive of some of the things that she does. 
All right. Well, then what's the most offensive? I, think, I mean, I this, think is, the, this I think is the, the debate of this movie. Blacklisting someone. Yeah, the blacklisting the, is it, terrible. It, it seems like there's no rhyme or reason for it. Like, she could just say... Yeah. She, she could, just wants this woman to disappear. Yeah, she could just say, like, I don't want to have anything to do with you, but she doesn't have to, like... She doesn't have to blackball. I mean, that just seems spiteful for no reason. But I think that I think that I think the it, the the biggest flaw in Lydia Tarr is her use of her power. Yes, and it's not any one specific thing. And that's what this movie does. Is it? it but this if you is think what about this movie. It, this isn't it's so complex. Well, that's what I mean. But this movie isn't a beginning, middle, and end story. I mean, there is a, there is an end. Things wrap up like there is a fall. But what I think this movie does is shows you all these different ways that power is abused. And you can say that, like, this is the worst. This is the worst. This is the worst. And I think that's an interesting conversation. But ultimately, I think what is so fascinating is, like, the the combination of power and legacy and morality that I brought up at the point, like all of those things and like, where, where are the lines and where, where are you crossing them and what's okay? But that's what's so, that's what this movie did so well. That's what I'm saying. We're able to have this conversation and not really know the answer. I think it's less important about than like, is she a bad person or not? I think it's more just like, you know these these people exist and like what right. are we okay with them doing and yeah for, and they the doesn't really answer it it doesn't answer that question which it shouldn't oh, I, I disagree i think it does i think you the, think it yeah the, makes a because it Lee, draws the line you brought a great point like the assistant knows all the dirty secrets she knows she's got all the access she she doesn't She's sad about the, the this woman killing herself. She knows everything Tar's done, but she doesn't quit until she doesn't She's, get what she wants. Right until she doesn't get and the then, violinist. And then, like, yeah. Um, and then Mark Strong, who is actually based on a real person, I had to read up on him. You know, like like he's only out for what he wants, which is to do to take her place essentially, and and you know, like bottle her genius for like lack of a better phrase right like get how do i become you and there, there was a guy who was who was a hedge fund guy who wanted who was into Mahler and wanted to and was a conductor and that like he moonlighted as a conductor <laughs> um and i i i think i think mark okay let's just start like if you were to if you were to describe a hedge fund guy who moonlights as a conductor and like wants to like play with a big symphony orchestra. Mark Strong is who you would picture. I don't know how they figured that yeah. out, but like, that is what he looks like. That person looks like. And I, I guess like I, I think, I think the movie does fall down on, like, the sort of greed and ambition. Of these people and and it's ultimately a criticism of that and and right but how are you ever going to get to that point if you don't have ambition and sort of greed like i think it touches that's on the, that yeah but that's the thing it's like you have to be crazy to be successful the whole like you know i think there's a number of different ways you have to be crazy to be successful like there's you know the the the, the counter argument for you know i don't want to 
sugarcoat this by any means, but like the counter argument for like the the Harvey Weinstein's of the world is that you like you have to be a bad person to be as successful as he was or and like I think that well, see, touches I, on that idea. I don't agree with that. What I think the movie's saying is that is that people the people around them allow this stuff to happen. Like okay. she is she's given private jets by hedge fund people to fly across the Atlantic for like for no reason. Why? She her assistant lets her blackball this woman whose pussy she ate three months ago. You know, like all right. So if you want to tie some themes together, which I think Chapin, you stumbled on something really really pivotal here. Is you pussy know, eating the the uh, <laughs> pussy eating? That's what this movie's really all about. Yes. <laughs> um, but the seriously, idea of they, like, they fucked. They all fucked. I know, but the idea—that's not what I'm talking about, though. The idea of like the people that make this happen, right? Because that's where the opening credits come in. Is that Lydia Tara's power and her legacy is not an individual accomplishment. It is the accomplishment of her orchestras and the people that she has worked with and the people that has have helped her and her her partner who there's a very like there's a very important scene towards the end where, she, you know, she's disappointed. Her partner is disappointed that Lydia didn't talk to her about the Krista situation and the potential lawsuits and so on and so forth. It says, you know, when you moved to Germany, we talked and I told you how to be how to prepare for the German people and to work in this country and to work for the Berlin Symphony right. Orchestra. All these people are part of what made Lydia so successful. Just like all of the people that worked on the movie are part of what has made this movie successful and all the all the location people are are pivotal to the Oscar right, yeah. winning oh, the movies. Here. Oh, park, park yeah, here. If you don't know if Lee, you don't Lee, Lee's making a lot of good points, Shapin. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. If you don't know where to park the truck yeah. You know, imagine, yeah. imagine if Spielberg didn't know where to park the truck on Jaws. Because he doesn't know oh. where to park the truck. Oh my God! But imagine if he didn't have a locations person to tell him where to park the truck nah, on Jaws. Can Just you bring... can you imagine? Yeah, the location his... on Jaws. Oh, imagine if he didn't have a location you know, you know, person that cleared the, the beach Atlantic for him with the uh, the, the, the sixty five extras. You know, you know not to step on Fablemans. I know you guys haven't seen it. It's not spoiling anything. But if 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 there hadn't been a locations person on Jaws, Steven Spielberg would just be a Jewish kid that got bullied in high school. That's it. That's it. But the director is obviously another one. The director is obviously the most important person. Let's not forget that. Okay. Um, But let me get back to my point. No, hold on. No, I was no. I I got a point. I got a point. Jeremy's just like, let me talk more about locations. No, all I'm saying is that this movie, this movie points out that people make success. Other people make a person success, and other people also other people also make a person, you know can make a person bad essentially or like vain or egotistical or whatever like or self-indulgent. I, I, I agree arrogant. with that. I agree with that, but I think you're missing a little portion of that, which is that it's not so much like the Berlin Orchestra, it's made up of a bunch of brilliant very talented people, but they're they're like the movie depicts them as like workers, you know? Like the guy who I think is like the first cellist or something. No, that's yeah, a woman. No, that's There's some a woman. guy there's some guy who is like doing a bunch of admin stuff. There's the first violinist. There's the first cell, uh, cellist, and who she does the she does the solo. Who's gonna do this? There's a lot of admin stuff that goes on, and like these people are not the they're not depicted in the movie as geniuses, and they 
like the, the the cellist is the perfect example. She she's supposed to have the solo, and Tar gives it to the woman she wants to fuck, as you do, and she doesn't say anything. She just says, "I like theory, how that's I the part." Chapin likes, <laughs> but like there there is obviously I think what the movie does make clear is there's obviously a hierarchy here. Like you're you're the you know they even say it in the in the in the first scene when she's on the stage. They said, "Wasn't the first." Violinist, you sh- the, the the conductor before there were conductors, and the first violinist is her lover, her wife, and this woman who's very important, who's been marginalized, because they let people let her do this, they let her get away with this, they make they let her make these decisions that don't make any sense, so she can fuck this chick, and we 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 give these people power, right? We give it to them, and because they have talent. I don't know if it's because of it. it's because we have talent yeah. or because like because we're we're impressed. Is she is she what is she what is she talented? I mean we like we're well, told yes. we're, we're told the, she is. The movie but doesn't I, we show don't know. us she's talented. We don't know. Yeah, she's replaced their their second choice is a hedge fund guy. Right. She's <laughs> replaced. I mean, yeah, she's done all the work to get them there. Mostly her. So well, look, right. this does this does what we always ask movies to do is it asks questions it doesn't give answers, which I think is great. I think it does. I think I think she is decidedly a villain. Oh, see, I don't know if it goes that far. Oh, I think. I mean, Jeremy movie, loves loves her. Yeah, he. I think no. I think the movie decides she's a villain. I agree with Chapin on that. In the end, can we talk about the paranoia aspects of this movie? Because I, I was not that. on board with that. I think that I think that was I think you could have probably cut twenty minutes out of this movie. Um, you have her hearing things. You have her. I mean, she gets this. So I read that in the trivia that the book she gets on the airplane is a book that is from Krista, the woman that you know she blackballs. But like, right? I got that part. I think we assume that, but the shot you can't tell in the shot. Right there's a there's a there's a maze drawn on the front page, yeah. which you also see in her apartment somewhere. So very subtle, and it's some, very and uh, someone it's steals she her saw, fifth book, which presumably is the assistant. No, no, it's because she saw Lost season one, and there's a Dharma initiative. The Dharma maze. Initiative. So that's like season three, but yeah. Um, so, and that yeah, so there's some. There's some paranoia stuff that I I don't know I, I struggled with that in its place in the movie and and I agree Chapin like I, does this movie change without that? Um, I don't know I mean I'd be curious I'm curious like where I don't know what the like, intention is of it what 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 right, is it what I mean the intention is like she knows there's something that she did wrong and she's worried about oh it's it. like it, the guilt it's her conscience it's the guilt, the, it's the like, guilt. Yeah. yes well. Um, Jeremy doesn't I'd love think she to... has anything to feel guilty about. So yeah, Jeremy no, thought I think... everything she did was justified. Yeah, it's funny yeah, there was no. that there was that pretty locations assistant location manager who somehow has never gotten a job since she worked yeah. with you and then killed herself. Well, she was terrible. I told her to kill herself. <laughs> she was rubbish. Had to let her she, go. She, she was to rubbish. be fair, she <laughs> was rubbish. Let's talk about Kate Blanchett. Uh, well, we did a little. We heard Chapin's a little bit. We start. We started okay. to, but I really want to hear your opinions, Ugh, uh, full me. out. And I obviously Chapin, you liked her more than you normally do, but that's kind of what I got. You thought she was brilliant, or yeah, I, I, what? I, I, 
I mean, is Ben Affleck a brilliant actor? See, I hate I, I hate to I hate to do that comparison, but I think you. No, no, I'm talking this performance. I'm saying this. I think this is a great performance. I think she's perfectly cast. I think the reason for that is that she always has for me. Why I've I had trouble connecting with her performances is there's always an artifice. I mean, I mean the she Aviator won an Oscar is a perfect example for the Aviator. That that is such a performative performance. Excuse the sort of double use of that word, but like that's not a good performance. That's a bad. That's a very bad performance. No, and she, it's a it's all right. So I mean, that's a biopic performance. That's a that's a that's an imitation. Drink. I mean, I'm a big fan of hers, and I think she's really good in Miss America, which is a TV show. To be fair, uh, I haven't seen which, that which you haven't seen but like she also has like uh i don't know if i can say this but like an almost autistic quality to her performances <laughs> that this is no i'm just very kidding. suited for no okay. i don't I, know what that am i alone i think i'm on an island there but i want you what's a great performance of hers besides this one like a great one I mean, she's I think she. I think she's really uh, weirdly. I think she's really good in Benjamin Button. I think she's really good in Miss America. I oh. look. I I'm not dying on the Kate Blanchett Hill. I think she's a good actress. I think she has great screen presence. Um, so you guys have seen Blue Jasmine. I haven't. Oh, I um, think she's good in that. She didn't. Did she win the Oscar for that? I think she did. I think she did. Well, yeah. I don't think she did. Well, we're well we can out right now. Yeah, she's a two-time winner. She won for no, she didn't win. Oh, she did. Yeah, she did. Sorry. Yeah, she won. Yeah. Um, Woody, Woody Allen, completely innocent. Right? Speaking of, yes, canceled. Um, I'm not dying on the Kate Blanchett Hill. I think she's a good actor. I, I think she, I think she has great screen presence, and I think that is on full display here. Like she commands the screen. She, she has a, a really great presence in this movie, and and she finds with this character, I think she found like a, a really interesting cadence that I think is very apt for the character that she's playing. It's this pretentious, but also like clearly like it's a pretentious, but clearly like almost a warranted pretension. That she, that she inflects in this movie, and I think it's really, really effective. Sure, I mean, you're, because you have to have that personality that demands the kind of behavior, demands the sort of treatment that allows her to do the stuff she gets away with. Right now, I, I think she's good in this movie. I think it is a, a you know, we love movies to see, and I, and I, I think she's great in this. I, I never, agree. I think she's great too. Look, I never, I never, I mean, I shouldn't say never. I think sometimes you just know when a, a, a performance is a fixie nominated performance. And I guess the best way to describe this, in my opinion, is that I don't know it for is. sure that this is a fixie nominated performance yet. Really? Really? I think that's interesting. I don't know I, yet. Now, it, it may well be because much could beat this. it's excellent, but this, the, because the performance didn't blow me away. What blew me away is the performance in service of the story. Now, Which is a performance. It is. But I think there are times when you get both that and just such an amazing piece of acting that you 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 have to put it together. Perfect example is is Daniel Day Lewis in Gangs of New York. His performance is in service of the story, 
and that works. Yeah, his and, performance his, is better than the story, though. This is not... This is. You're missing my point, though. The whole idea is that you get... Sometimes you get a performance where it is... Me, the performance itself is memorable. I think... I don't think talking about I don't I don't think this performance in particular is memorable. I think the Uh movie Tar is memorable due in part to the performance. So that's like the opposite of Daniel Day Lewis. Well, no, because what I think I think the reason I brought up Daniel Day Lewis is that he has both. His performance serves the story, but it is also memorable outside of the story. And it's Mm -hmm. when you can have both of those things, that to me is a guaranteed fixing nominated performance. Here you have one. Here you have a performance that serves the story, but I will not remember Kate Blanchett for for being Lydia Tarr. I will. Oh, I disagree. I think I, I disagree think, with yeah, you one hundred percent. There, I think I that's I, I think I kinda, incredibly I think I kinda, dumb. I kinda, I kinda no, it's not dumb. I think I kind of see what you're, you're saying, Lee. But I mean, the, you're identifying right now exactly why I've shifted my thoughts on performances. Like, if you're not serving the story, if your performance isn't, it's, it needs treating, to be both. I don't think it don't, does. Think that's it does a rare all. thing to be a... Daniel Day Lewis in Gangs of New York. Like, uh, like that's not. I think I think Kate Blanchett in this is is extraordinary in her service of the story. I'm just gonna look at our. She is. She is the movie. The movie. She's in every yeah. scene. Anthony in Hopkins scene. in The Father, our 2020 Best Actor winner. Yeah. To me. You know, it's it's a little tricky with Anthony Hopkins because he's played Hannibal Lecter. But to me, Anthony Hopkins will always be associated with his performance in The Father. But it to is you, also to you, right? But I'm but we're talking about my fixie nominations. Whoa. Well, your fixie nom. It's all of our fixie nominations. Well, you guys can have whatever criteria you want. You're not gonna. Yeah. You guys can have. I know. Five. I'm just saying, Anthony Hopkins. That performance was our like unanimous winner. Right. Why? It served the story, but it also was an extraordinary performance outside of the story. I like think this, this is. I think this I don't think the agrees father, with that. The father is as interesting a movie as this. Probably not. But, but whether it's a better movie or not, I don't know. But it's not. It's not as interesting as Tar. Jesse Eisenberg, best actor in 2010. Um, that will be the performance I remember Jesse Eisenberg for. It that's also different. served the story. That's different. I think that's not a that's, same thing. Served the story, but an amazing performance outside of Man, the story. Man, I, I, I think you're... I, same thing. I'm looking at all of the winners. I think and they you're have way both. too... You're being way too hard. I think, I think Jesse Eisenberg is a great comparison to this, to this performance. Sure. Yeah. Well, right, but I don't know that I'm... I, look, I'm just saying I don't know yet. I don't know that this is the performance. That's fine. You don't I don't know, know that when well, I you're hear... You're talking about when I hear maybe Kate not even nominating her for this. Well, I've seen... Um, Which is crazy to me. I've seen 53 more movies than you, Jeremy. Yeah, and, so, and 40 of them you should have probably skipped. Okay, yeah, and then you get to skip because of me, so you're welcome. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's my point. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. Guys, I, I've always just misunderstood the whole purpose of, like, you know, the podcast thinking that like we love movies and we love to watch movies. So I do that part. Don't get defensive. I just <laughs> am defending Kate Blanchett in this movie. But I think she's great. And I am not denying. The, do you want to watch the father again? I am actually, I'm curious. I, do, I certainly don't. That was a singular experience for me. And, and Anthony Hopkins was 
uh, like the best performance of the year. Yes, for One sure. One of the best performance ever. Look, yeah. I all I am saying is that I don't know whether or not the the character of Lydia Tarr is the career defining performance for Kate Blanchett. Now that you can but say, does it need to be for Fixies? No, it doesn't need to be career defining, but it needs to it needs to transcend the movie. Well, I can safely say this is the this is the best I've ever seen her. I don't think it has anything to do with whether it's the best you've ever seen her. Like, I I, I think she's a good actress, I, but I don't know that and she's. Great. I probably can safely say this is the most interesting movie I've seen this year. This and Banshees that. are very close. I really liked the movie. I really liked her in it, and I really liked the character of Lydia Tarr. And I think that that I think. You guys just aren't totally. I think Chapin, you like said you have grasped the distinction I'm making, but what I'm looking for, I, I, I grasp I think, this, this distinction, but I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong you're, to, to but, use that to judge. Fixies. But the data proves that I'm not. Every one of these move, every one of these winners, actors and actresses that we've ever had in the Fixies hits both. I disagree with that. Maybe I don't not think, Jennifer I don't Lawrence. Think, I, I don't think Francis. Mc, I don't think Francis McDormand did. That's not like a. That's not like a flashy. Uh, I mean, that's not a performance that you would like go back and look at. What about Olivia on, on Coleman in The Favorite? That that is a performance like that. But to be honest, I think we might have gotten Ronan that, in Little Women. I think we might have gotten that wrong. I think we might have gotten Olivia Coleman wrong in The Favorite. I think that that's not as good a performance as we thought it was. I wonder who else was nominated that year. 2018 actress Elsie Fisher. Uh, Charlize Theron, Lady Gaga. Elsie Fisher, you're the one who loves her. That's a perfect example. That is that is a tar performance right there. She's it's a subtle movie. It's a movie that doesn't that that you know it's she's she's not yeah. over the top. Yeah. She's not yeah. she doesn't have any scene chewing scenes, and she's key to that movie. That it's not. True. I think I, she might have been my number one too. Okay, so look, I did not tell you guys that that Kate Blanchett's well, not getting nominated for a fixie. I said I don't know yet. You're yelling at us, Lee. No, you guys Stop are mad at me. At you us, guys are Lee. acting like I said Kate Blanchett sucked in this movie. No, we're not. We're just. I think we're talking about no, how she we, licked in this movie. I, oh, I think. I think. What I think. What's interesting about talking about these performances this time of year is like, how do you judge? I mean, you know, on a great year, you're gonna have to go. I, I don't know if we've ever experienced this before, but like you're going to have to go down on your list and, you know, I know how you've got it laid out. You've got like, you know, uh, flashcards posted places and, you know, wires. <laughs> well, it yeah. looks, it looks like, it's like beautiful uh, mind. It's like yeah. beautiful mind. And Lydia comes out and is horrified and makes you sleep in the basement. Um, okay. But here's what but I'll say. You're going to have to come down to that decision where you're like, you're saying, Oh gosh, well this performance was really interesting to watch, but this performance served was the movie and the okay. movie is great and that is the more important thing the the serving the story is the more important thing but a like lot of could, perform, argue, a lot of performances serve the, the, the story DD, you could you know argue what? the D uh, Audrey Pla Aubrey Plaza served the story in her performance in Emily the Criminal but guess what she's not getting nominated for best actress I, okay. I think you're denying how important the serving the story in a movie uh, I'm not, called I'm Tar saying, about Lydia Tar is. I'm not. I'm saying. Well, okay. <sighs> Aubrey Plaza was Emily shot. in Emily the Criminal. Like I, I, I just bring that. I don't know why I've that came to mind, but like movie. the this that is the most important thing. But there has to be something that elevates a fixie nominated performance above simply serving the story. You I think she does that you, in this. I think so too. 
Okay. But I don't know Great. if it's the top five end, yet. End of conversation. I don't know if it's the top five yet. That's all I all said. Right. We've got... we. <laughs> sorry, guys. But we've got 114 days before I have to decide that. Fuck, I gotta get my well, tickets. We'll let you... Uh, yeah, get them before I send <laughs> you... Keep sending you the wrong dates. All right, guys. Categories, all right? Character you'd most like to have a drink or meal with. Is it Lydia Tarr? No, I don't want to. I, I don't really want to hang out with her. I mean, we saw we saw her. She seems she seems boring to hang out well, with. Okay, totally. but we have we have an example. We have the scene in this movie where she meets the the new Russian cellist. And they go to this restaurant. And she's like, "You should order the Cobb salad or whatever," and she orders like three three different steaks. I think I'd like to have a drink with her. The Russian cellist. She seems seemed kind of interesting. She was interesting. On that topic, though. I did not understand the scene at all when she follows her into her house, her apartment, abandoned apartment building, and there's a a dog. And she disappears. And she falls and breaks her nose. Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't understand that that at all. That was weird. Um, Wait, we got to answer this question. Don't move on yet. Well, I think we did. The Russian cellist. I think. I I think maybe the or Mark Strong. He seems seems phony. Yeah, I know, but then, but you know, it'd be a nice bottle. But then you of get a good, yeah, you get a good meal out That's of it. That's true. He yeah. orders good wine. You might be able to get a, you know, a, a hop on a private jet somewhere. He might be able to hook you up with a jet. Um, you guys need a ride to the Fixies? On me. So, best acting moment. I don't know if we really need to get into that, or unless there was a specific moment from Blanchett that you guys. I mean, obviously, I know you guys know I didn't think she was very good at all. Oh. <laughs> I, I kind of like the big moment where she, spoiler alert, rushes on stage. And tackles oh, I, that was my like that. least favorite part of Worst, it. But I, that was my I, I least favorite like part of the you, movie. Well, okay, fine. All right, fuck you guys. But also, how? But, God, so easily offended. I like how the running joke now between now and the fixies is going to be how much I hated Kate Blanchett in this movie. <laughs> I I I don't see anyone uh, topping her for you. Uh, worst acting moment. Hmm. I think it's Kate Blanchett coming out and tackling Mark But that's not an acting moment. (laughs) No, that was was like acting. Um, All right. Um, Jeremy's location corner. A lot of of work on location here, Jeremy. Yeah. The the only tough part there would have been that weird scene where she follows her down into that. Yeah, but that looks just like abandoned. Sorry, how about the... um... Like months and months that you're in what was actually the Dresden it was in Dresden and not Berlin the concert hall. Is it? Well, once you get once you get the concert hall, you're good. I'm sure you had to work around a ton of stuff. Probably, uh, you're right. Yeah. I I mean I, I like know how, this is, okay. This is Chapin's location. Corner. I know this is Jeremy's Jeremy how job the job. Would but be. I would I do I do think that this locations people should get some credit. Presumably their locations and and not um, sets, but. The differences between, you know, Lydia's home home in uh-huh. New York, her, in her apartment, her home in Berlin and the like apartment that she rents, like those are all like such different spaces. And I think like very, I think very intentionally different. Yeah. Wait, were they not in Europe? Well, well the, she had one in New York and two in Berlin. No, 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 she, no. I know like the actual apartments look very European. No, I the, know the that. The apartment but, but she stayed in. The, the, the apartment, her office apartment. Looked yeah. like kind of an old an old building, and then her her house was like this new sort of concrete. Yeah, concrete thing. But uh, the, her her apartment 
looked like nothing I've ever seen in America. That's a very European apartment. And the concrete space didn't seem very American either. Sure. Where did they film this? Uh, I think Berlin or, or the, 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 the concert house is, is in, is in Berlin or in, sorry, in Dresden, Berlin. They shot in Berlin. A Mostly lot. Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not very like, especially her, her home home isn't, unless it was some weird random place in LA, that's not an American. No, house. but they, they obviously filmed it in Europe and then probably Southeast Asia whenever she goes you know, at the end. Hmm. Um, I was impressed. I knew that. Did you guys have a Not a really. cinematic jerk off scene? Um, I mean, you guys probably don't have this because you don't have quite the sound system that I have. But the just like the swelling of the the music is, was really well mixed and well, like, really took over the sound system. And that's very rude. I um, that's also I, true. I really, I think one of the scenes I liked most for a number of reasons was. It's kind of a shorter scene, but it's the scene where she they they finish Mahler's fifth in the rehearsal, and she's like, "We got it," and you kind of hear, you hear a bit of it, and then I think what was kind of nice about that scene is it's not she's not you realize that she's not just this like perfectionist that like will never be satisfied with the work. Like she she gets like they rehearse and they get it, and so you get this great music, and then you get this additional piece of her character development that I really enjoyed. And I quite like classical music, so that was always all, that was all good. Beethoven is... Uh, I think he's generally considered to be the best. Considered yeah. the best. Yeah. Well, Chopin. Um, what are you grumpy about, Chapin? My neck really hurts. Oh, yeah? You yeah. need a massage? I do. Oh. And I'm just fat. Yeah, that's not nice to say about yourself. Well, I'm working on that in therapy, but... Okay, that's good. And, and Jeremy and I are going to do a fast next week. Right, yeah. So, which, I'll, which I'll care of that. I think the best... Be... I think I think what most therapists say is the best thing about when you're, you're, you've got some, like, you know, body dysmorphia is that you just don't eat. Yeah. It's the healthiest choice. It is a healthy choice. As long as you don't, you know... What else you guys watching yourself. this week? Oh, uh, well, Moneyball, apparently, Chapin. Sorry. Yeah. You want to talk about Moneyball? Yeah, look, like, I, 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 uh, I, 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 you know, I don't know. I, I just needed something to, like, you know, have on in the background or something. And that movie is just so goddamn good. And That I'm movie just, gets better every time I see every it. Every time you watch it. I'm so amazed by um, uh, Bennett Miller. um I think Brad Pitt is just like so he just is so good in that movie. I know I gave the award that year. I think I, I liked his performance in Tree of Life a little bit better, but I think that this might be the better performance. Uh, well, I'll just, just never you, forget you, when you, Jeremy said that that movie was not that memorable and not that didn't stand the test of time like some other movies from that year, which is just you, you, one of you the have, dumbest things he's ever said. You have Philip Seymour Hoffman with like 10 <laughs> lines somehow, like the one yeah, of the greatest actors so of his generation play like a, you know, um, and I, and then I also I was watching it with someone and I I was able to say, Jeremy and Lee worked on this part of the movie, and oh, that's yeah. a Fenway. that's a great moment too. The Hen, what's his name? The Henry. Fenway, yeah, yeah, the, Henry scene. Yeah. Do you remember Lee? We got an email from like a random yeah, some reporter uh, wanted to know who a reporter him. saying that, and we're like, I don't know. We were yeah. just there. 
I mean, I and we did. We I just really didn't. It was weird. That I didn't. Day. It was such a weird. Oh, they did not need us at all. Yeah. We were like locking up like corners there was no one there (laughs) we were locking up like the green monster yeah there was no one there. and i still think we failed at that i think somebody apparently messed it up yeah lee Lee got a call from the florist and said let's take down the cathedral of boston and yeah you're gonna do it i got her i got her hooked nice and proper all right yeah we we were locking up the green monster so you're welcome um next up um is that it that's all the questions well no i said next up on the categories so I watched the Fablemans yesterday, so we're gonna pod about that next. Um, Can't wait, Fixie um, season, baby! Woo! Spreadsheet, some spreadsheet news, couple oh, things. <laughs> um, EO. Yeah. Have you guys heard of this movie? He- heard of it? Yeah, just heard about it. It's about a donkey. EO EIO. EIO. It's about a donkey and traveling around Europe. Got an 82 on Metacritic. I really to be appreciate just if this was organized excellent. by Metascore. I don't know what it's more by now. It's organized by Must See if you look over on the right. Um, so that was added to the Must See list. Um, oh, I, I forgot. I did watch something. I'm sorry. Spirited. Oh, you did watch it? I watched it. And? Uh, what? I mean... You, you guys have no idea how difficult this movie was to work on. And I knew from the get-go that the music isn't good. Like, I heard him rehearse it over and <laughs> over and over again. And I was just like, this this song sucks. Why are they doing this? And the, uh, we just spent so much time and energy and money on these 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 pieces these set pieces that just weren't is there any way that movie costs 75 million dollars oh i wouldn't be surprised if it cost more than that's what i'm saying i mean i think they're somehow all these boston movies never budgeted they don't ever list the budget but i watched it cost it must have cost a hundred million dollars the things we did the streets we shut down the oh my god and it was (laughs) fine but like uh I didn't even want it to be good. I just wanted it to be Christmassy and fun and like something you could enjoy. But the music isn't good and like the the concept is clever. I like it, but oh man, we spent <laughs> so much time and effort on this thing. You have no idea. Um and uh, much less personal note, I watched there's two movies I watched that I don't know if we're going to get to necessarily on the pod. I watched Smile. I'm sure we're not going to talk about that. Um, a little bit of a pointless movie, pointless horror movie. I also watched She Said, um, which pointless horror movie. <laughs> yeah, horror for us. <laughs> you guys have been opposed to that movie since it was announced. Oh, I'm excited to see it. I'm really excited. Um, I'll leave it at that. I, I saw. It. I mean, I, I read the Good book cover too. Which, the book is is extraordinary. Um. Look what I'm doing. What How's that? How's that feel? I don't know what you're doing. I'm checking off Fablemans for you. Oh, did you watch Fablemans? No, I'm checking yours off. Oh wow! Ah, yeah. don't take that away from me. I know that's why I wanted to do it because you <laughs> oh do my god, Jeremy all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, because otherwise the numbers just look so skewed. So Fablemans was my 70th movie, and you took that away from me. Took it away. You motherfucker. 
So I did check off spirited. Though, what are, so what are we doing on bones and all? Are we seeing that? I thought we were kind of, or sort of. I thought we were in protest for Luca Guadagnino. Well, that. I would love to do that one. The, the problem is, it's just its release date was the same as Fableman's. So Fableman's will be next. Um, I sent you guys the next four weeks, um, which and we have some options after after. Um, so we have Fableman's, then we have um, where are we? We have Fableman's, then we have a couple options: the whale. Uh, Empire of Light and Pinocchio on Netflix come out the following week. Then we're going to go Av- Avatar and Babylon um, in our our seven hours worth of movies. <laughs> what well, if Babylon I, is I, bad? Uh... Babylon early reviews reportedly are not great. Well, where did you I see finish that? this show a this. week from Friday, so I will be able to see a lot more. December is going to be lit. As far as me going to see movies. All right. Well, that is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. A good, a good podcast, guys. Lovely, lovely podcast. Good, solid one. Hopefully, you get to hear it someday. The fuck um, was that? That was my Lee. Fight. Shut the fuck up. I'm keeping up with the podcast. You dickhead. Are you? <laughs> Asshole. He's keeping up with the Fablements. Yeah. Um, you can email us at getyourfilmfixpodcast at gmail a lot of stuff we want to start seeing in the inbox. We want to see voice memos of your favorites of the year. We want to see emails about Dick movies picks. you'd like us to review for this from this year. Um, don't send us old movies at this point. If you want to, you no can. No old but dick pics. We're not going to be doing those now. We've got too many on the on the slate uh, between now and March when we will be recording the eighth annual Fixies in New Orleans live for all of you to hear. No, not live. I just it's, It sounds better if you say live. Don't you guys think it sounds better if you say it's live from New Orleans? Yeah, I like that. I like that. Okay. Uh, anything to add, guys, before we go? No, just, um, yeah, we'd love to have your voice memos. Keep, start thinking about it. You might not want to... What um, do you think of Tar? Let us know. Yeah. And obviously, like, if you agree with me on the abominable performance by Blanchett in this movie, email us. <laughs> Get your film fixed podcast at gmail.com. He, he's kidding. He's kidding. Not anymore. The, the long lost music. Yeah, you just decided. You said you used, liked that. I do. I like the decision to use copyrighted music and clips instead. <laughs>